Good evening. Too much and not enough. Welcome to Wednesday evening chapel. It is our privilege to have Dr. Jim Russom, the Associate Director for Online Education as the Preacher of the Hour. Would you welcome him, please? Uh, some of you know, but not all of you know, that Jim graduated from Nazarene Bible College in 1971. He was, he was six. We had a youth program then. So, we graduated from here in 71 and completed a bachelor's degree, a master of divinity degree, and a doctor of ministry degree, and has been in pastoral ministry since, since leaving here. So, uh, so he understands Nazarene Bible College, and he understands what it means to say yes. Uh, to uh, to the call to the call of God on his life. So, looking forward to his to the word through him this evening. Stand and uh, let's pray our prayer together. Hear my Lord, purify me. Let's say it together. Hear my Lord, purify me. Let's pray. in our hearts to sing your praise. Amen. You are more mighty than we know how to say. You deserve more glory than we know how to give. But we do give it, we give you what we have. We give you who we are. And we ask now that you would help us to continue to sense your presence through your spirit, through your servant, through your word, for your sake. Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good evening. What a wonderful joy it is to come and to praise the Lord with you and to look in the Word together. We do have a mighty God. Aren't you glad? And especially at final exam time, aren't you glad? <laughs> aren't you glad the Lord can touch our memories? I know that he can, because for 35 years of preaching, I've been praying, Lord, please touch it again. <laughs> well, I'd like for you to uh, journey with me through Psalm 106 this evening. If you have your Bibles, if you take those open, please. My manuscript will be available online, so you can get all the details of this message there, should you want it later as a resource. I want you to look at the visual that I chose when it comes up. You're going to see there a camel caravan. And I chose that not to be biblical or spiritual, but the reality is that sometimes on the journey, it seems like we're moving at about a car camel's caravan uh, pace, and especially when we're going through, I think, those testing times. And so it just seemed to me that it might be a good visual for us to look at as some of you are here for your very first year, some of you are here for your 10th year, <laughs> or, you know, wherever you might be in the journey. Uh, sometimes we sure wish that would uh, hurry up and uh, take a little bit faster pace. But God knows the best timing, doesn't he? Amen? And so we need to learn how to trust that timing. One of the things that you and I have in common is that one time in our life we heard God give us a call. And we said, here I am, Lord, send me. And the next thing we knew, he said, yeah, I'm going to send you to Colorado Springs. You're going to go to Nazarene Bible College. I've heard that three times in my life. I heard it once as a student in 1968. 
I heard it again as a member of the Board of Trustees of Nazarene Bible College, and I heard it a third time in the call to come as faculty and administration. And each time I said yes to the Lord, and I don't regret it. But I can also tell you that another thing that you and I probably have in common is that like Abraham, we started on the journey not knowing all the twists and turns that it would take. And, and we come to Colorado, and, and I'm sure that we're not all necessarily ready to call Colorado the promised land. But here we are, and we're on the journey, and all of a sudden it takes some twists and turns that we did not anticipate or expect. Some of those surprises have been times of great blessing, and others have proven to be times of great testing. But the truth is, if you and I dare to take the journey that Jesus will lead us on, let's be honest, the journey and the road that Jesus walked was not always easy. And when he says to us, come and follow me, he's going to lead us on a journey that sometimes will be difficult. Sometimes it'll even seem strange to us. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. <laughs> Lord, I didn't know this was going to be on the agenda. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. In other words, just like the Father took care of Jesus, he's going to take care of you and me. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> it might get hard. But God's always bigger than what's the matter. I think it'd be also true if we would testify, yeah, it's been hard sometimes, but God has always been faithful. Well, Psalm 106 is, is a recounting of the time that takes place when God first calls the Jewish people, the Hebrews, to become his people and his nation. And they start out on the journey. And in this psalm, as we read this historical recounting of that journey, we see both tragedy and triumph. It chronicles the ups and the downs of the Jews as they struggled to follow, to trust, and obey the Lord. And too often, they did not trust and obey. And when we read this psalm and we read the word, we see the consequences. Now, after reading Psalm 106, I was tempted to do this, and you will be too. You said, man, those Israelites were a bunch of jerks. <laughs> they were a lousy bunch of people. Why didn't God just throw them away and try somebody else, you know? But before we get too hard on them, you know what I discovered the more I read this psalm? Ooh, sometimes that's just like me. Amen? You see, sometimes I get a little impatient, get a little panicky on the journey, and I fail to trust and obey as God wants me to. And then I make the journey harder than it needs to be. Don't blame God for that. Well, verses 11 through 13 adequately describe for us how and why these things happened along the way, the way they did. But from these verses, we not only learn what not to do, but we can also learn what we ought to do when the journey gets hard. So I want you to pay close attention, especially to these three verses, verses 11, 12, and 13 of Psalm 106. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. But soon they forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. It's a shame, isn't it? There are forgetters work so well. How soon we forget. As I look back over my 52 years of walking with the Lord, I can tell you he's never forgotten me, but there were times when I forgot him. Times when I failed to remember who God is, how mighty he is, and all the things that he's already done and could do. Well, time does not allow for me to give pure exegetical 
uh, information on, on this song, but let me just give you some, some, some breakdowns to it, the kind of major divisions that if you want to go back later and study it, I think you'll see them kind of jump out at you. And as you look at them, you're going to say, yeah, I can, I can see where those times were a part of my journey as well. In verses 1 through 6, they start out with joyful faith. Man, they're just worshiping and praising God. They're talking about how good God is and He deserves their best and He'll reward obedience and trust. And Isn't that kind of how we start off also when God leads us on a journey, when we first got saved or we're on our way to school or whatever the journey might be that He's called us to? Man, we just start off with great faith and anticipation. And, you know, during those wonderful times, it's just fun to pray. Boy, it's fun to pray when things are going great, isn't it? And that's kind of what they do. They say, oh, God, include us in your blessings, your favor, and your promise. But all of a sudden, they began to experience some things they didn't expect. They expected just good things all the time, just blessings all the time. That's kind of sometimes what immature young Christians expect. You know, I'm saved now, man. The Lord's walking with me. It's just going to be blessing. It's going to be a bowl of cherries. And they forget that cherries have pits, you know. And, and, and so we have these sort of unreal expectations. And those of you that are in the counseling cohort know that that's a major issue with many people in the problems, is these, these unmet expectations. And finally, in verse 6, it turns from praise to prayer to penitence. We've sinned. What'd they do? They failed to exercise faith, to trust, and to obey, and remember who God was. One commentator wrote, as we study this psalm, it may be like witnessing an autopsy, but we'll benefit from it if, like the psalmist, we keep our eyes on the Lord of glory and see his kindness and faithfulness to his sinful, rebellious people. Now, I don't mean by that that the commentary thinks that that's the way we always live, but that when that does happen in the life of a believer, God doesn't run away and hide. God doesn't act like he doesn't know you. God is there patiently waiting for you to call out to him. Well, in verses 7 to 13, we have an accounting of fear and doubt that led to forgetfulness and failure. Isn't it interesting? They see the miracle of the plagues. Pharaoh says, you can't go, you can't go, you can't go. Okay, get out of here, you can go. They see the hand of God moving. They leave with, with more possessions and riches than they had when they came. I mean, things are looking great. But the moment they get to the edge of the Red Sea and they hear the rattling of the spears and the shields and the chariots and the horses, man, an instant case of forgetfulness. Amazing, isn't it? But here's what happens. Faith was overtaken by fear. Now listen to me. Fear changes our perspective so that instead of being participants of faith and promise, we become mere spectac spectators of what might be a spectacular event. Kind of like we saw the revival or we saw the service or we saw that neat thing or we, we heard what God did and that guy's, ooh, isn't that something? And we're just spectators. We're not participants. And suddenly God's former care becomes for us a pleasant memory but not a powerful platform that enables us and compels us to remain victorious. Then there's verses 14 to 42, a dangerous decline, the tragic cost of disobedience. The psalmist goes into great historical detail to outline everything that happened. And I like what George Morrison said about this section of Scripture. The Lord took Israel out of Egypt in just one night, but it took him 40 years to take Egypt out of Israel. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to have to live in the wilderness for God to purify me. But I got some good news. Even if you find yourself in the wilderness, you cry out to God, it can become a purifying experience. 
in spite of the parting of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, meat enough to feed the entire nation, water from the oasis and water from the rock. They became so preoccupied with survival. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? What shall we possess? That they could not live by faith and stand on the promises of God. Let me tell you something I discovered in 35 years of pastoral ministry. When people, individuals, or churches fall into survival mode, faith, trust, obedience, and spiritual growth go right out the door. It is never God's plan for us to live like victims and struggling to survive. It is God's plan for us to live like overcomers and the victorious people of God that we are. Amen? Well, just when things are like, yuck, 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 <laughs> this is a bad story. Verse 43 to 48, glorious deliverance. Verse 43 reads, many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion and they wasted away in their sin. But God took note of their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant, and out of his great love he relented. He caused them to be pitied by all who held them captive. Look at God's awesome response. If you've never seen grace in the Old Testament before, this ought to just jump out at you with a capital G. Because God's response to them is not based upon their merit. It's based upon their need. They need to be redeemed. And the God of redemption redeems them and rescues them. What an awesome response. In verse 47, when they finally are tired of their rebellion and they cry out to the Lord, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. When the journey gets hard, if you've taken a detour, if you find yourself in the wilderness, all you got to do is call on God. Amen? Amen? God knows where the wilderness is. He may not have intended for you to have to go there, but he knows where you are. He never forgets your address, and you can call on him, and he will redeem and rescue. Now, it's important sometimes how you pray. In Psalm 143, the psalmist prayed this way. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. I don't find, you, you know, you ever notice sometimes when things are going really, really good and you're feeling what we call in the South real spiritual, you know? You prayeth, these of kindeth prayereth, O Godeth of heaveneth, you know? And you try to just sound so spiritual and, oh, but man, when things are going bad, God, answer me now. And this is the way they prayed. And when you get desperate, when you get tired of being in the wilderness, when you get tired of going out on your own way, and you get tired of trying to do it on your own, and you cry out to God, he's ready to answer. Amen? Hallelujah. Do not hide your face from me, or I'll be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord, for I hide myself in you. And then he concludes with his prayer with, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your spirit lead me on level ground. Well, it may seem at first that this psalm is just more about how not to do things. But if you really pay attention to verses 11, 12, and 13, already we have the answer of what you ought to do so you don't get in the situation that they found themselves in. Number one, what do we learn? Well, if you look at verse 11, it says, The waters covered their adversaries, not one of them survived. What is that as a testimony to the awesome power of God? Did you ever hear the story of the, of the new convert 
freshman in, in a state school, and, and man, he's all excited, and he's got his Bible, and he's sitting on the bench, you know, and he's, and he's reading his Bible, and this professor comes along and says, what are you reading? Oh, he says, I, I'm reading about where the, the people, it, Moses went and got them and, and, and uh, let them out and, and got them freed. And, and, and man, they're going along and they come up to the Red Sea and they don't know what they're going to do. And God parts the sea and, and marches them across the dry land right there in that Red Sea. And, and then the, the Egyptians come and, and it swallows them up and kills every one of them. And the professor says, why, son, don't you know that didn't happen? He said, what do you mean it didn't happen? He said, why, that wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea. And everybody knows that the Reed Sea never has more than three inches of water in it at any time of the year. So what do you think about that, young man? He said, wow, man, I thought that was some kind of miracle. But just think, God drowned all those people in three inches of water? Wasn't that something? <laughs> you got to rely on God's power. When you get in trouble... Your strength will never be enough. My strength will never be enough. But God knows how to overwhelm the enemy. He can do it in three inches of water if he wants to, amen? You see, we're the most vulnerable, though, when we've prayed and we said, I've given it to the Lord, and instead of things looking like they're getting better, it looks like they're getting worse. <laughs> what do you do? Hold on. I kind of have a feeling I know how they felt when they heard those chariots coming and the horses, you know, everything's coming at them. The natural emotion would be fear. And God gave us those emotions. And when we have those emotions, you know what we're supposed to do with them? Run to God, not run away from God. Amen? That's why God gave us that emotion. So that when things that, that ought to frighten us, we turn to our Heavenly Father and say, but God, you're bigger than that. I can't do it, but I know you can. We have a choice. We can fear the circumstances or we can face our circumstances with faith. Fear immobilizes you until you can't find the strength to put your foot in the water. But faith mobilizes and energizes and you walk across to dry land. When you get afraid, remember why God said, do not be afraid. It's a command, not a suggestion. What he's saying is don't remain afraid. When fear comes to you, don't let it overtake you. Turn to me. I am with you always, even to the end. Amen? Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move here or there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I don't think Jesus said that just to sound good. I think he's trying to get us to say, don't be worried about how much faith you have, but where are you putting it? Put it in me and watch what will happen. Now, I'm an old guy. I, I was older than six when I came to NBC. I was the ripe old age of 18 and already married for nearly a year. You know, in Tennessee, we don't, you know, always worried about getting too old to cut the mustard, so let me just get with the program. After all, my wife was 19. I married an older woman. <laughs> but when Susan and I were growing up in the church, we had a song that we used to sing. It's probably so old to be new to most of you. But the words were this. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? Well, God specializes in things thought impossible. And he can do what no other power can do.
You see, when I rely on God's power, my testimony changes. It's, it's not about, oh, I'm so afraid, I don't know what to do. But it is, God is able, therefore, I know that in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus and the family God sent. Amen. Now what matters is whether or not we really believe that. So when a mountain comes up, here's how you face the mountain. God's either going to give me the strength to climb it, the ability to tunnel through it, or he's going to move it. But whatever he does and however he does, it'll be the right way, and I will come out more purified by the process. Amen? Well, the second thing you've got to do, according to this passage, is it says in verse 12, Then they believed his promises and sang his praises. As I said earlier, it's amazing how soon we forget things we ought to remember. <laughs> Every time you take a test, huh? <laughs> I knew I knew that. I told Chaplain Light, I did create a handout study guide for you guys, but I think I deleted it instead of sending it. There's a big difference. <laughs> Have those senior moments every now and then. When God makes a promise, listen, his promises are reflections of his character. He does not lie. He'll do what he says. He never changes. First Chronicles 16 says, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he's done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of his wonderful acts. Second Peter 3.9 says, God's not slow concerning his promises. But you know, I know how we are. But I've been praying about that a long time, and I'm not seeing anything happen. I've been standing on that promise, and the mountain hadn't moved yet. Yet is the big, important three-letter word. Because God's in charge of the mountain moving. Amen? God decides when the mountain is to be moved or tunneled or crossed over. God decides. He's with you. Wait. Walk with him. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Psalms 18 says, and I want you to, I want you to read this with me. Okay? I want you, I hope, can you see that? Is that big enough for you to read it? Okay? You're younger than me. You can read it? Okay, here we go. Read it with me. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God beside the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. I love that. Well, you know what he said? I can take on the whole cotton big and army. <laughs> I don't need 300 soldiers of me, man. God and I make a majority. With God's strength, I can take on the whole troop. Wow, I want to be that kind of disciple, don't you? I want to have that kind of faith. I want to have that kind of attitude permeating me. And remember, I've got God. I've got his promises. I've got his word. I've got his spirit. I've got everything I need, Peter said, for life and godliness. What in the world am I worried about? Amen. Amen. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With God, I can scale the wall. Do you believe it this evening? Amen. And finally, we've got to return to godly counsel. Verse 13 says, But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. Now, we've often taken what would Jesus do and kind of reduced it to buttons and badges and bracelets and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, it is an important question. What would Jesus do? And, and when I want godly counsel... It just makes sense that I ought to ask myself, according to the Word of God, what would Jesus do? 
And I should surround myself with people who have godly wisdom, who want to know what Jesus would do, and not only want to know what he would do, but want to do what Jesus would do. In Colossians 3, 16 and 17, we're told, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Wisdom, the ability to handle life and to know what to do with it, comes from the heart and mind of God. You know what? How we think determines how we act. What we truly believe and embrace as fact, as core value that I will not surrender, will determine my actions. And when I seek godly wisdom and say, I want to do what Jesus would do. I want to do what God tells me to do. I want to stand on the promises of his word. The result will be godly actions. What do you do? What steps do you take when you're, when you're moving from those emotional times and those stretching times? Well, how do you start? How do you get back on track? How do you, how do you get back into, into following closely? Well, I think sometimes it helps to start with praying Romans 12, 1 and 2. Present yourselves a living sacrifice to God. And, and don't let the world tell you how to act. Don't let it become your pattern. The, the world is fearful. They're in panic all the time. They don't ever live in lasting peace. Everything is always in a turmoil. Don't follow that pattern. Listen, if we let fear of our circumstances determine our actions, we're allowing the forces of the world to conform us toward doubt and disobedience. But if we let the Spirit transform how we think so that our understanding is based on godly wisdom, we will choose godly actions. Give me an amen, somebody. But you say, I just don't know what to do. Sure you do. Like wisdom, ask God, James 1, 5 to 8. Who are the wise persons that we ought to go to? People who go to God for wisdom. People who ask God. And God doesn't dangle it and say, well, if you beg me enough, I'll give it to you. The scripture says he gladly shares his wisdom with us. James 3, 13 to 18 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. That backs up what I just told you. If you're acting on godly wisdom, your life will show it. You'll do what Jesus would do. You'll do what God wants you to do. If you seek godly wisdom, you'll find it to be pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And when you seek godly wisdom and godly counsel and you rely on his power and you stand on his promises, it totally changes your attitude about the test, about the trial, about the situation, about the mountain. That's why James could write, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's how much God loves us. He loves us so much that he just wants to continually purify us along the journey so that we become more and more like Jesus, lacking absolutely nothing. <laughs> Is that not an awesome thing? So here we are then, fellow sojourners who heard the call and said, here am I. Now you know why the enemy works so hard to discourage you while you're here? Because God's called you to be a leader, an influencer. And so if he can discourage you, then that will just cut the feet of your leadership right out from under you. And when you get into church and you're pastoring, <laughs> oh boy, the devil loves to discourage you in every way he can. Number one discouragement is criticism. Whew, it hurts. Boy, and the devil convinced you that nobody loves you. Your dog doesn't love you anymore. You know, he ran off to the neighbors. Your wife doesn't love you. I mean, he'll just get a hold of you, just mess you up. 
Spiritual stability is a key factor for those who lead others. So when trials come, we must guard against allowing ourselves to be overcome by emotions and circumstances which will take us on a spiritual roller coaster ride. That is not God's plan. So instead, rely on His power, remember His promises, and return to godly counsel. And when we do these things, as I said, our perspective changes. Well, as we look at this, we are forced to ask ourselves some important questions then as we close. Are you relying on God's power or your power? Have you forgotten his promise to be with you and to keep every promise he's ever given? Have you sought godly counsel and godly wisdom or have you allowed yourself to panic and get distracted and get lost and take a detour? So which of these do you need to do today? Rely on his power? Remember his promises? Return to godly counsel? You see, no matter where you are or what you're facing right now, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And you and I cannot afford to ever forget that. Chaplain's going to lead us. We're just going to sing through it one time. If you're on a detour, if you're lost, if you're frustrated, if you're waiting for that promise to be fulfilled, if you're trying to figure out how do I get over that next mountain, I want to encourage you to get up and come from where you are and kneel around this altar and say, God, I'm going to rely on your power, not mine. I'm going to claim that promise. I will not turn loose of it. By faith, I will cling to you. Or maybe you just need to take an action and say, I've been listening to the wrong voices, the wrong people, the wrong sources. Oh God, I need to hear from you. If that's meaningful for you, would you come as we sing it through one time and then we'll close in prayer. Lord, we come to you this evening and, and, our, and our prayer is one that we feel like we ought to pray like the psalmist. Oh God, I cry out to you, answer me now, quickly, oh Lord. So Lord, as I come to you this evening, I confess that I need your strength. I cannot face this mountain, this test, this trial, this circumstance on my own. I want to rely on your power. I will rely on you for strength. Lord, you've always seen me through the storms of life. Help me to recall those moments when I face trying times and help me to remember them right now. Let me not fall into spiritual forgetfulness, but instead help me to keep my eyes on Jesus and totally trust in Him this evening. And teach me, Lord, to seek godly wisdom, the wisdom of your word, of the leading of your spirit, and of godly people, people that live Christ-like lives. Let me learn to always trust your ways. And today, O oh Lord, I choose faith over fear, humility over pride, assurance over doubt, and your word and your will over my present circumstances. I will not run from you. I will run to you. For you are my rock, my redeemer, my fortress and my God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to encourage you now to sing that as a testimony of what you just brought to the Lord and say, Lord, I may not know how, I may not know when that mountain's going to move, but you will make a way. God will make a way where there seems to be.
God's business this evening. Amen? God is among his people. Or as my friends say in the South, God's in the house. <laughs> and aren't you glad? Amen? I give to you this benediction, but I say to those who are praying, we are not rushing you. We are not rushing you. We want God to do his work in your life. We don't want anybody to live here with, leave here without victory. That's God's plan. Amen? Amen? So I say to you this evening, climb those mountains. Scale those walls. Advance against the troop. Endure the test. Grow in that trial. Conquer that circumstance in the strength of the Lord and be purified and become more like Him. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God's people said, Amen and Amen. Feel free to pray with a friend or to pray where you are or be dismissed quietly.